This episode is brought to you by the Virtual Excellence Academy. I interviewed the founder, Hannah Dixon, back on episode 237. And in addition to just being one of my all-time favorite humans, Hannah has helped 30,000 people leave their nine-to-five job and become fully remote freelancers so they have the ability to travel the world. And now Hannah is offering a free training on how you too can start and grow your freelance business based on the skills and knowledge you already have. It's virtual so you can attend from anywhere and it runs from June 24th to the 28th. You can register for free at themaverickshow.com slash virtual. Now, you're going to want to sign up early because you'll get immediate access to a supportive community and be able to pair up with an accountability buddy ahead of time to make the most of the training. So register now at themaverickshow.com slash virtual. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I miscalculated the number of days that I was going to be in Russia and the number of days I was going to be in China. I thought that I would be more days in China than I would in Russia. And I only brought enough money (laughs) to stay me on the train for like, I think two days or three days. And we got to the stage then where we were eating like rye bread, like dipped in hot water. It was so next level disgusting. I think at one stage I put it in beer because I was so desperate. I was like, water and beer are the same price. I'm just going to have rye bread dipped in beer. This is my life now. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Sarah Gregg. She is back on the show. If you missed the first interview with Sarah, it was episode number four. You're definitely going to want to go back and check that out. But she is back on the show because she has been up to all sorts of incredible stuff since the last interview that we're going to talk about today. If you have not yet met Sarah, she is a life coach, a business coach, a certified NLP practitioner, and the founder of The Power to Reinvent, a company entirely focused on helping individuals and businesses achieve their goals in less time. Over the past decade, Sarah has worked with hundreds of clients ranging from large corporations like IKEA to startups and individual entrepreneurs. She has also worked with the European Commission on developing an entrepreneur accelerator program. In 2016, she sold her house, her car, and all of her stuff to become a fully location-independent entrepreneur and design her dream lifestyle. She left her home in Belfast and has been traveling the world with her husband, Chris, while running her business from some of the world's most beautiful locations. And she is also the author of the forthcoming book, Find Your Flow. Capture it, use it, and make it yours. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Yay! 
Hey, I'm so excited. I feel like so much has changed since we were last sat in Chiang Mai sipping on that really good bottle of red wine. And it's incredible to be back on the show with you. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction. Well, we should definitely set the context here because it's rare that you and I are not having a bottle of wine during our discussion. It's a very rare situation. And the only reason that we're not having a bottle of wine today is because we're in two separate locations. I am recording this from West Africa. I'm in Dakar in Senegal. And where are you today? I am in really sunny um, Copenhagen in Denmark. Amazing. And you and I last hung out about two months ago in Cape Town, South Africa, which was amazing. It was me, Jen McGee, who listeners know from The Maverick Show as well as a guest, and then you and your husband, Chris, and we had an epic night out. Oh my word. Epic. Some of the best food and wine ever. It was so good. So good. Take me back. (laughs) Well, I want to actually hear about your reflections on South Africa because I saw you, of course, in Cape Town and mm-hmm. we connected there for an amazing evening. But you then went on and experienced a whole lot more of the country. So I would love for you to share what you did in South Africa and what your reflections were on it. Yeah, you know, I, I've always wanted to go to Africa and I don't know why it took me so long to get there. I, I was I really didn't know what to expect. You know, you hear all these, oh, it's not safe and, you know, all these kind of tales of horror or um, danger. And I fell in love with that country, like hands down. It's one of the best places that I've ever traveled to. I think purely because of the the diversity, you know, one minute you're um, on safari, you know, with lions walking out in front of your car, you know, the next minute you're in beautiful kind of like wine regions, sipping on like the most glorious, rich, full-bodied red wine to like hanging with penguins on a beach. It was just next level amazing. I loved every second of it. It is amazing. And a lot of people don't even know that there are African penguins that hang out on the beach. (laughs) You know, it's like we, you know, you associate them with cold weather, freezing cold climates, you know, walking around in the snow. And then you go down to Cape Town. Yeah, they're just chilling on the beach. (laughs) They're hanging out on the beach. I mean, there's a giant penguin colony. It was amazing. So that's absolutely right. And then how was the safari experience for you? Oh, my word. The safari was beyond expectations. Like when we arrived, we stayed in this fabulous like luxury tent that overlooked Kruger National Park so even from our first arrival there was elephants like right in front of our accommodation we could see crocodiles you could hear the hippos at night and that was before we even went in the park and the park itself was phenomenal it's the same size I think well the guy told me this as the country of Israel so it's huge and only 10% of it is covered by roads so it gives this really natural feeling experience and actually it's so well managed and the animals really come first which was incredible to see but we got so lucky on our trip we saw um four out of the five um big five the only one we missed was the was the leopard which um hid from us at one stage under a drain which was (laughs) kind of frustrating but that's part of nature right um we saw rhino baby rhino we did a walk through kruger which was probably one of the highlights, even though on the walk, 
I didn't see that much because the animals are hiding from you. But just to be able to walk and see a, a lion's kind of footprint beside you and and hear the guide say, like, I know that there's a lion somewhere in the long grass and it's it's watching us at the minute. But that's and that's why all the animals have kind of disappeared. It was yeah, it was it was just the most magical experience um, that I've had, just that connection to nature in a very authentic and natural way. Amazing. And then, of course, I have to ask you about the wine country in South Africa, which I feel like a lot of people are not exactly aware of what exists in South Africa with respect to wine. Can you share your experience? It's heaven. (laughs) I literally felt like I died and gone to wine heaven. And the price, I don't know if you experienced this, but the price of a really good bottle of wine or even to do the wine tasting, it blew my mind. So like we'd wine tasted before, like mainly in Hunter Valley in Australia. And when we went to the first vineyard that we arrived at and she gave us a tasting menu for the first, for like to taste, I think it was nine wines from like their kind of standard and then the reserve range was the equivalent of five euros. Five euros for wine tasting was just crazy and the quality of wine was superb and we had a picnic down at um the warwick and um, vineyard and they brought us out like a lovely gourmet picnic basket you know you have the views of tabletop mountain like it's so lush and so green and it feels quite french like the architecture is just it's stunning um yeah it you know it was south africa for me was just surprise after surprise after surprise like no amount of photos do it justice yeah the wine region is absolutely stunning i was out Mm. in stellenbosch for my birthday in the end of may and it was just insane i mean there's some of the most beautiful wine vineyards in the world hands Mm. down for sure so um amazing so i also want to ask you i know you've spent a lot of time in copenhagen since the last interview where i by the way have never yet been it's super high on my list i know you just invited me to come visit which i think i will take you up on that shortly but tell us a little bit about what you have found in Copenhagen and what that's been like? Copenhagen has been really interesting. So we've been moving about um, for the past while, but Copenhagen's become a bit of a base, mainly as a result of the book, because I found whenever I was trying to write, like the writing and the moving process, just it was really disrupting my flow. (laughs) Um, And so we based ourselves here in Copenhagen, which feels really apt because it's one of the happiest places in the world. And it's just stunning, like the way of life, the energy, the atmosphere. um, It's a really mm, vibrant, young, energetic city that it just has so much going on it's kind of hard even to put into words and how much there is to do here and I don't even think it's that I think it's just the attitude of people this laid back um approach to life where they just embrace it to the fullest it's it's a very very special place Awesome. Well, let's use that to transition and talk a little bit about the book. The title is Find Your Flow, Capture It, Use It, and Make It Yours. Let's just start. I want to start with a very basic, broad question, and then we'll go narrower and we'll go detailed. What is the concept of flow? Can you explain what it is and sort of the history, where that comes from, and how you came across and connected with this concept? 
Yeah, of course. So if we start with the, the definition, so from a psychology point of view, and um, the concept of flow was first coined back in the 1970s by a Hungarian psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. It's a hard name to say. Um, and he discovered when he was interviewing people, particularly artists who were lost in their activity, that most people described that experience as flow. Commonly, most people associate flow with flow state experiences, and they're really intense experiences against a dull kind of background of living where you lose your sense of self and time distorts. Athletes normally refer to it as being in the zone, and it's normally experienced in kind of brief fleeting moments, like when you ski down a slope or you solve a problem or you're involved in a game of chess. But flow is much more than that. And I think that's where my fascination for flow really started was discovering the surprising psychology of flow, which was it went beyond these brief fleeting flow state moments. And actually what the theory of flow describes is not only how to experience that joy in the present through flow state, but also how to create a unified sense of flow in your life where life makes sense to you and you're able to order your consciousness direct your intention and invest it in a goal that matters most so that you get this seamless unfolding of life and time where everything makes sense there's order in your inner reality and your outer reality responds to it and psychologists really call this the they call it the secret to happiness and it's a formula for living life fully without the waste of your time or potential Wow. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit and talk about how someone can go about starting to move towards experiencing that. What are the building blocks and the components of that? And where does someone start? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's actually the question that started my journey because when I read about flow and this concept that it was happiness that you could control and create in your own life it wasn't dependent on an achievement or some distant goal I became really curious okay what does the theory teach me and how can I take that and practically apply it in my life the great thing about the psychology of flow is the research when it started in the 1970s has continued on and they've broken it down to find that there's three core conditions that are necessary for flow to occur whether it's in a flow state experience, or whether it's to give you a unified sense of flow in your life. And they are, you must have a clear goal. So in other words, I know what I'm doing. I understand the purpose of my actions. That helps order your consciousness and direct your energy and attention. The second one is that it's at your optimal level of challenge. And this is really important. So in flow, there exists a flow channel, and it's almost like the Goldilocks zone of your optimal level of challenge. It's the sweet spot. So you want to engage in a goal that's not too easy, that it makes you bored and unmotivated, but equally not too difficult that it causes you to feel a sense of overwhelm and anxiety. So it's about finding what works for you. What's that kind of sweet spot where you feel motivated, you feel challenged, and your skills are going to be developed and stretched. And then the final component is immediate feedback. And immediate feedback is really your attention, being able to understand the feedback cues as to what success or achievement as you work towards that goal looks, feels, and sounds like. So it knows as the 
information comes back into consciousness that yes, I am congruent with my with my goal. I'm working in alignment and it creates that flow between your thoughts, actions, and your outer reality. So it kind of like works in this beautiful, seamless feedback loop that our brain loves. And it creates this lovely sense of serenity, harmony, and alignment. Amazing. So what would be the sort of logistical components if people wanted to work towards this? What would be the actual steps, the practices, routines? Like what would someone need to do to start moving in this direction and integrating certain techniques into their life? Where do they start? This is where I also started. This is really that that question is exactly what made me create the journal system for flow because the research says that flow can occur in almost any activity as long as those three conditions are part of your everyday life and that that's really the key to improving the quality of your life but the reason what the research doesn't say is exactly how you do that like how do I go about my day and continually check in with myself is my goal clear you know do I have immediate feedback you know if that's that's too difficult it's not really practical for our busy lives and so what I did was I took the three core conditions um off flow along with two others that the work um the research had referenced as important for finding flow which was positive emotions and reflection and then built a journal system so that I could start my day with clear goals that I performed my optimal level of challenge and scripted in my immediate feedback so that as I went throughout the day, I understood and had fed my intention, the feedback cues that it needed from what I would see, hear and feel as I went about my day. And it's that that's brought me that sense of flow in, in my everyday life. So can you talk about specifically your morning routine now mm-hmm. and what that looks like with regard to the journaling system and anything else that you're doing and any tips that you have for people with respect to what works effectively in a morning routine? Yeah. So the first thing about an, a morning routine in general is it's so important to put yourself before yourself. Um, I think most people, just because our phones are our alarm clocks, the first thing we do is we wake up in the morning, we turn off our alarm and we begin to kind of this process of scrolling through our apps. And what psychologists and research have found is that the process of doing that and allowing the outside world in puts us in an automatic state of reaction. Our body's kind of like it's awake, it's responding, it's reacting before we've cultivated how we want to feel for the day. And there's a really interesting study by two psychologists um, that was performed in conjunction with the Huffington Post. And they wanted to see the impact of our morning mood on our entire day. So how how we start our mornings affects our entire mood. And so they took a group of people and they divided it in two. One group they showed some negative news to, just three minutes of negative news. And the other group, they showed three minutes of kind of positive, empowering news in the morning, like the, the news that makes you happy, like a 70-year-old guy who, you know, gains his high school kind of GED after all these years. And they found that the group who watched the three minutes of negative news were 27% more likely to report feeling unhappy at the end of the day. And so psychologists are really looking at our morning mood and they're saying how we start our day impacts the entire mood for the rest of our day. So your morning mood is extremely important and it's really good to just experiment and find something that works well for you. What I do and how the system works is there's 
three parts of the journal system that you complete in the morning and then one part that you complete in the evening. The first three parts are morning grateful flow. And this is a gratitude practice that enables you to wake up happy and lay the foundations for flow because when we feel good, we're able to focus and direct our energy and and attention into what matters most. The second part then is called forward focus. And it's here that it's about living with intention. So this is about setting your goals and making sure that you perform your goals to your optimal level of challenge. And in forward focus, I wanted to differentiate between what we must do, because a lot of productivity planners or um, journal systems kind of focus on this daily goal or to-do list, but often that can delay our happiness in the present. So I created a system where you set three high value priorities, three things that you must do that day. You may not want to do them, like it could be um, sending like an awkward email or, um, you know, doing a client follow-up that you maybe don't really want to or whatever it is. So three things that you must do that day. And then three high flow priorities. And these are things that you want to do or activities that you've already found flow in, whether it be in your work or your leisure time. And what that does is it enables you to be happy in the present moment, but also build your future at the same time. So you can take this kind of lovely energy and be happy with your life as it is, be really in alignment with your actions that you're, that you're doing that day, but also have that ambition to build a meaningful future as you move towards those goals that matter most. And then the final part, and this is my favorite part, is a process called total flow. And this is train how to train your brain. And the most difficult part for me whenever I was looking at these three core conditions of flow was how do I integrate immediate feedback? How do I tell my brain, you know, that I'm on track or I'm off track? You know, what does that look like? And so I looked to, well, how do athletes do it? Because athletes are the ones that experience kind of the most flow. And when they're in flow, they perform to a higher level. And I found what athletes do is they use this process called imagery scripting. And it's where they script out their ideal performance. And so I've adapted that in the journal system. So to teach you how to script out your ideal day, so that as you move throughout the day, you already know what feedback cues to look for. So whether you see yourself giving like an awesome presentation as you stand up and speak with confidence or whether you see yourself pick up that gym bag and, you know, take yourself for that workout that you promised that, you know, you would do all week, you feed yourself these attentional cues and then your attention is able to wave that flag to say, yes, you're on course or actually, no, this isn't what we said we were going to do. It's time to course correct. Awesome. So, okay. So that's the morning routine. And then can you take us through the day and into the nighttime and talk about the entire system and what other components there are? Yeah. So at the end of the day, then you'll have some lovely, valuable learning. Like my experience was whenever I decided to change and sell everything and leave my life, it was really because a lot of little things had added up and and made me kind of, you know, not really happy with the life I was creating back home. And so it's through nighttime reflections that you'll lean into the little things before they become the big things. So in that chapter of the book, you're taught how to effectively reflect in ways that are positive. So by self-distancing, for example, by saying, what, what could Sarah have done better? So talking about yourself, you know, in person really helps with that. 
and also discovering where you felt in flow because the joy of the structure is as you find your flow, you add more of it into your life through those high high flow priorities. So if I find, for example, I really feel in flow whenever I'm problem solving at work and that makes me really, really happy, then I start to add more of that into my into my work because I know that's where I'm most productive. I know that's where my strengths lie. And I know that's when I feel the most joy and challenge from the work that I do. Equally, finding your flow in your leisure time. So whether it's trying new activities, like I joined an improv group um, last month and really loved it. Like it was just such fun and such play. And so adding more activities of that into your day-to-day life so that you can experience the joy of the present, but also be building that ambitious vision of the future that you have. And I think for so many overachievers and entrepreneurs, that's the bit that we're always in danger of missing. We're so eager to kind of move to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, that we miss the joy and the value and the flow of just being in the moment. So for me, in kind of like a short summary, flow is a way of like having your cake and eating it. It's a way to have it all. It's like, I feel happy and successful in this moment. And I also know that there's more to come. Okay. First of all, you would be amazing in an improv group. (laughs) I would so, so love to see that. So I hope that you stick with that. And I hope that it's possible to uh, see some of that when I come visit in Copenhagen, because that would be incredible. (laughs) That is awesome. Can you talk a little bit about the concept of gratitude? I know that you have mentioned that to me, uh, that you also practice that. And can you talk about what that is, what the significance of it is, and how that integrates into the system as well? Yeah. So gratitude is the first part of the system. um, And it's really important that you start your day with gratitude. Gratitude is like a free happiness pill (laughs) that you can take every day if you just have the discipline to practice it. Um, happiness actually restructures your brain. So it's like taking a neurochemical kind of like cocktail smoothie first thing in the morning. So like you get your dopamine in there, which is that real feel good factor that you just feel awesome. Your brain's fired up and it's ready for the day and it feels really, really happy. And that part of the brain um, really helps also with our productivity and our ability to, to channel our energy. It also gives you confirmation bias. That's a part, it's a psychological part, um, which is when you feel grateful and you, the more you tell your brain, I'm really grateful for my life. You know, I love where I live. I'm so happy, you know, with my work or I'm so grateful for my friends and family, you know, whatever it is, the more your brain actively tries to find examples of more things to be grateful for. So as you practice gratitude, you physically rewire your brain to be a more positive person, which is why now most psychologists and depression treatment centers prescribe happiness because it is incredibly powerful. It also activates a part of the brain called the hypothymus. And the hypothymus is a part of your brain that regulates metabolism and sleep. And actually, they found in studies that people who practice gratitude not only have better relationships, Um, but also exercise more and do more uh, activities that make them happy. So it's just writing down three things in the morning that you're grateful for. It's not comparing yourself to other people. So that's really important. And 
Like, so for example, you know, I'm grateful that I'm not Julie because Julie's car broke down last week. Uh, It's not in any way negative. So it's not, for example, I'm grateful that I am not sick. It's always in the positive. So I'm grateful for my health. My health enables me to travel the world and have new experiences and exercise. Or I'm grateful, like this morning I wrote, I'm grateful for the internet because the internet enables me to work from anywhere in the world. And it gives me that sense of connectivity and I'm able to reach out and have conversations like this one with you, me being in Copenhagen, you being in Senegal. So it's about noticing the small things in your life and really taking that time to appreciate how much you have rather than focusing on how much you don't have yet. That's awesome. So how long would you say that the entire morning routine takes? And also, if people want to start implementing the morning system, do you recommend that they start implementing the whole thing at once or do they do it sort of step by step and build towards that? And what's sort of the commitment there that people should expect if they want to fully implement the flow morning routine? So the good news is (laughs) that it only takes around 10 minutes to do. It's so short. It's literally two pages of a small notebook to do your morning routine. Um, Probably the hardest bit, only because it's a new skill, is the scripting. But in the book, there's lots of prompts and phrases to help kind of like guide you through how that should work. So yeah, 10 or 15 minutes and you you need to do it all at the same time because each part of the system builds on the next. So as you feel positive from your gratitude, that sets up the structure of your brain to have that clarity to think about what you want to do for the day because your thoughts are are ordered your brain feels clear and then you're able to channel that thought energy into how do I want to spend my day and what do I want. Then as you do that and you decide, okay, these are my goals for the day. This is what's most important for me to achieve. And I factored some like things that I love doing in there. Then you script just, this is how my ideal day looks like. And it's not about scripting your whole day. So you don't have to go like at 7am, I do this. It's about just scripting the most important parts of the day or things that are I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Most relevant. So that's normally for me, maybe like one short page. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about what makes flow different from other self-help philosophies out there? I mean, if somebody walks into a bookstore, there's going to be a massive, enormous section on self-help and a ton of authors and a ton of books. Can you talk a little bit about what differentiates this concept? Yeah. So I think there's two main things that differentiate it. One is flow is happiness that you control. So it's a state that you can create. 
So it's not dependent on external things or distant goals or achievement or success. It doesn't say abandon those things, but it says like you don't need to rely on them. So I think the fact that you can control your own happiness is a real selling point. Um, But the second one, and I think the most important one and a reason why I love flow so much is it's unique to the individual. So this isn't about, you know, the book isn't a, you should live this way. If you want to be happy, you need to wake up at 5 a.m. You know, you need to do 100 sit-ups. You need to drink a green juice smoothie. And then, you know, you need to hustle and grind all day and, and do all this stuff that worked for me. That's not what flow is. Flow is as unique to you as your fingerprints and as you are to the world. And it's about tuning into yourself recognizing what makes you happy, where your strengths are, where your challenges lie, um, finding how hard you want to push yourself and you feel able to push yourself and then releasing that. It's almost like that own unique code that lies inside of you. You know, we all have these gifts and talents that are unique to each of us and flow is the key to unlocking those. And I think the world needs more than that. I think there's a lot of self-help books that are amazing and great. And I encourage people to read as many as possible. But often what the person is describing is a system that worked for them. What the journal system aims to do is give you a format to find out and experiment with what works for you and uncover that. Well, and the other thing that I will say about you and your work that is really distinguishing from a lot of stuff that's out there is that you root your content in science and psychology. And I feel like there is a big section of the self-help space where, you know, for lack of a better term, we call it woo-woo kind of things, which is oftentimes devoid of scientific merit, right? Which is where I think some of those concepts and some of those, you know, pejorative connotations come from. Whereas what I really, really like about your work and why I'm so excited to get to this book is because all of the things that you're talking about are rooted in science and psychology. Yes. I cannot tell you how many journals, books I have read to create the system and to rigorously test the system. So I originally created the journal system for myself. It was never intended to be a book. It was me recognizing Uh, actually like not probably that long after we'd had our conversation I started to notice how old patterns of behavior were coming in where I was like chasing success and chasing happiness and putting this pressure on myself to perform and be my best self which is admirable as long as it's not as long as you're happy at the same time but what I was doing was attaching my happiness to my achievements And I knew that that was a broken formula for me and I knew that I had to change it. And when I discovered flow and looked at the system, I originally developed it only for my sole use. And what happened was one day, I just happened to post it on my Instagram account. I took a photo of my journal and said, hey, I've been using this. I really love it. It helps me find my flow. I feel so much happier. I feel so much more productive. Like I literally, it looks like I'm living the dream, but I also feel like I'm living the dream. And it's that's been a game changer for me. And it was as a result of that post, I didn't realize, but one of my followers on Instagram was an editor for a big New York publishing house. And she reached out and she was like, I love this. I think it's a book. So all in all, the system that I've described took me a year and a half um, of research. So I, I know with full confidence that everything that I say and everything that I've recommended is based on science and psychology. 
That is really awesome. I want to ask you more about the book deal and the process of writing and creating a book because I have, you and I have been in touch pretty regularly. Um, I, of course, follow you on social media. And of course, we have a, we have a friendship for, you know, a couple of years now. And I've been following you and you have been working incredibly hard to write a really, really, really good book. And I want to ask if you can share a little bit of the behind the scenes about your writing process and, you know, share a little bit about how you've done that, what the publishing experience has been like and Mm, so forth. It's a really great question. A lot of writers um, will say that you feel like a different person at the end of your book. And I definitely feel like it's been a journey of transformation and healing and challenge. And it's been the best experience, hands down, of my life. I can't believe someone has paid me to do this. Like, it's phenomenal. Um, The process itself was really interesting. So from kind of going from the, the contact with the publisher, he said, you know, I think this is a book you know, can you write a book day? Can you write a book proposal? And that's really for the exact reason that you pointed out, you know, self-help psychology books, you know, they're everywhere at the minute. So it's like, what, what was going to make this book stand out? Um, I didn't have a clue how to write a a book proposal, (laughs) just like fake it till you make it. Right. I was like, yeah, no problem. Book proposal, have it with you tomorrow. And then like just frantically Googled like book proposals in a cafe in Belfast because I was home and I was like, what am I actually doing? Like, do I actually believe I can write a book? This is ridiculous. Um, I felt like a bit of a fraud at the start. And so I wrote this proposal and, um, you know, kind of showed the gap in the market, which was significant because a lot of the work on flow um, really focuses on like creative flow or workflow, but the the theory and it blew my mind actually. The theory has never been really adapted in a system for everyday life. So it it was this like wonderful niche that I wasn't even looking for that was kind of gifted to me. It was just incredible. So after the book proposal, um, yeah, I really thought they were going to like send me an email and be like, okay, here's how to write a book and here's the structure. But they didn't. And they just went, okay, here's your deadline. See you in nine months, 10 months. And I was like, what? Like, what what do I do? Like, is no one going to train me how to do this? Like, I wrote a proposal, but do you really think I can write a book? Like, at what point is someone going to walk into my house and be like, sorry, we've made a mistake. Can we have our money and our book deal back? And yeah, you're really on your own. And um, I think you have to be develop a real sense of self-discipline. Um, you have to be really passionate about what you're writing about. Otherwise, you know, you would lose the will to live in the challenging moments. And you have to enjoy the journey. It's like, it's been so lovely. I've taken myself out on like, you know, with my notebook and my pen, like in the old fashioned style and like, you know, sat in a cafe by the lake and, and, you know, written a chapter, you know, I brought myself to Paris and like did a bit of writing there and, and made it as magical for myself as possible and made sure that I had fun along the way. But you don't actually get most of your feedback until you have your full manuscript. And that's the really daunting part, which I went through just before I arrived in South Africa, I had sent my full manuscript. So after nearly almost, yeah, nearly a year, it was a year since I'd written the book proposal. Um, Almost a year to the day, I sent my full manuscript in. And 
that's when the tense part starts because you have really poured your heart and soul into a document and you have no idea if it's good. You think it's good, but you've no idea what that editor is going to come back with and whether they're going to say, no, we don't like the format. You need to change the structure, you know, delete this chapter, you know, and it's, there's so much love that goes into every single word that, you know, even the smallest of deletion, you're like, no, it took me so long to write that one sentence. Um, and so I got the manuscript back uh, two weeks ago. I read the comments and then I deliberately didn't dive back into it for another week or so. And they didn't actually change that much, which was which was really lovely. And the amendments they did make were really insightful, really shaped the writing of the book. And today, actually, like just before you called, I'm just finishing the final edits for it to go off. Um, yeah, and then I don't know, I think like there may be another round of edits after that. And then it's just building up to pre-sales and then it goes on sale January 2020. Amazing. Well, we are definitely going to link up in the show notes and let folks know how they can get on the pre-sale yeah. list for the book. I will be there myself for sure. I want to get it as soon as it comes out. So that sounds awesome. Can you talk a little bit about your actual writing process in terms of how you structure your time to focus on that project amidst all the other projects that you're doing, like, you know, coaching and running a business and all the other <laughs> things that you have to do. Is it a situation where, for example, you try to create a small time block every day to knock out some of it? Or do you create larger time blocks on certain days and, you know, have an entire writing day? How do you structure your writing process personally? Yeah. So at the start, it was just a process of experimentation. And the book itself isn't that long. So the book itself is only like, I think it's around 14,000 words. So it's quite a short book. And originally, when I got the deal, I was like, they've given me nine months to do this. I'm gonna smash that in like two months. Like that's nothing. I can totally write that. But it takes so much longer, particularly the research, because you're double checking, kind of fact checking. So at the start, I set aside smaller time blocks each day but I found then through like my reflections that that wasn't working and it was almost like this stop start so I just divided my week up so I'd have like you know two days when I focus on the business and then the other days you know just to write and to get into that flow and to give myself permission to understand and set realistic goals of how long it was going to take me and um, yeah and then I made just some some business sacrifices I guess along the way like the book was really important to me and I wanted it to be like a calling card for the business and I knew if I invested my time in this book that it could develop a real platform for me because obviously there's you know like self-help books like coaches like the whole industry that I'm involved in it's hard to make yourself stand out, you know, like you have all this expertise, but you're competing in like a sea of kind of Instagram noise. And so I kind of really looked at my priorities. I looked at where the book sat within those priorities. And so I dropped down my clients um, and, and focused more time on the book, particularly towards the end. And I'm really happy that I did that. Like the book is like writing a book if and having it published, you know, it's, just such a blessing and I didn't want to do anything that would ruin that gift and ruin that experience it was so important to me that when I look back at this time the time that I wrote my first book that I could go 
that was awesome rather than, oh, that was stressful and I took on too much. So yeah, I just give myself permission to be like, it's okay. Like I don't, I don't have to have all those clients. Like I'm, I'm good. You know, I don't have to push everything to the next level. What's most important is if I put the work into this book, that investment will last me a lifetime. Amazing. And what's the marketing strategy going to be for getting the book out to the world? Have you coordinated with the publisher on that in terms of what they're going to do in terms of what you're going to do? And what's what's the rollout strategy going to look like? Yeah, so I'm really lucky that um, the publishing is it the publishing house that I'm with is is a large worldwide um, publisher. So I have my own dedicated marketing team and one in New York and one in the UK, which is really lovely and they've been super helpful just kind of guiding me through the process so I've had calls and um, with those teams yeah like the the main strategy is I've engaged with some influencers not I don't pay them any money just people that I know from the the digital nomad kind of circuit they're going to promote it um I've also just recently worked with a group of um, 10 women who I've taught the system to. They're just finishing up. And again, like it's really important for the book and for the publisher that there's no exchange of money. You know, all reviews have to be honest. And that's really, really important for me and particularly for the publisher. So they're also going to post on social media and do some video reviews about how they find it and how positive their experience has been. And then there's, I'm in the process of doing like some event planning. So I plan to have some events in London and then do a book launch in New York in 2020, which is really exciting. Amazing. Well, definitely keep me posted on all of those events and whoever Mm -hmm. I know in those areas, I will definitely try to alert them to that. And if I'm in town somewhere, of course, I will stop by. That'll be a blast. So that sounds awesome. All right. Let me ask you a little bit now about traveling. We talked a little bit at the beginning. I want to ask you, though, just broader question for you, because I know that you've made a very concerted choice towards the location-independent lifestyle as a top priority for you. And you've really taken that quite seriously in terms of designing your lifestyle. And that's been a big part of this whole thing is your choice to travel and where to spend time and how much time to spend there and stuff. So I want to just ask you about that particular choice. And just with a broad question about what does travel mean to you? What do you get out of it? Why do you choose to travel? Oh, I love that question. Travel means life to me. I don't know any way to live. I feel like I'm so fortunate to be born in a country and developed a, you know, a skill set that enables me to be location independent. And I almost can't imagine like why you wouldn't travel. Like it's hard for me to think about people who just want to stay in the same place. I think like the world is just full of incredible people with incredible histories, with incredible nature, you know, wonderful experiences. And the more I see of it and the more I travel, the more connected to humanity and the world and what it means to be a human being um, grows within me. So I think travel just gives me this this flair for life, this, this lust for life and this like a, a total love of life where there's just adventures unfolding like all the time. And when you get to work and travel and do it at the same time, it takes it to the next level because I think you get 
it's more than just like a two week vacation. You know, you get under the core of a culture, you understand the people, you understand the language, you understand the food. It's just a beautiful way to live. You know, it's get broadens you and grows you, enables you to grow as a person. Absolutely. So I have been thinking about you lately because I am next month going to do the Nomad Train, which is the Trans-Siberian Railway, (laughs) which I'm going to take from Moscow all the way over to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia with, I don't know, 25 or so other digital nomads. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be epic. But I always think of you because you told me this, I think it was like literally the first night that we ever had our you know, an extended substantive conversation. We're on the rooftop in Thailand, I yeah. think it was. And you were telling me about how one of your early experiences, travel experiences, was that you decided to take the Trans-Siberian Railway across Russia. And I was wondering if you can just share that story a little bit and what the experience, I mean, and set the context, you know, for where you were in your life at when you decided to do that and how you were traveling and then what your experience was like. Yeah, so I was like in my early, no, not early 20s, like maybe 24, 25, like something around that. And it was my first kind of like big trip. And we had booked the Trans-Siberian Express. We'd done it all independently. Independent travels like has always been important to me. But we realized with our passports, we are Irish passport holders. And we realized that like the Mongolian embassy required... um you to travel to London for a visa at that time. And we were already kind of like heavily saving for, for a big trip. We're like, yeah, we're not going to get, we'll just live on the train. We don't need to get off anywhere. Like the point is the train, right? Like you don't, don't need to get off. So I lived on that bloody train for like 10 days. And to make it even more hilarious, I miscalculated the number of days that I was going to be in Russia and the number of days I was going to be in China. I thought that I would be more days in China than I would in Russia. And it only brought enough money <laughs> to stay me on the train for like, I think two days or three days. And we got to the stage then where we were eating like rye bread, like dipped in hot water. It was so next level disgusting. I think at one stage I put it in beer because I was so desperate. I was like, water and beer are the same price. I'm just going to have rye bread dipped in beer. This is my life now. <laughs> like terrible and then then one day we were like wow we can't do this anymore like we literally have no money we're going to starve like for the next two days and obviously the you know no offense to the Russian train attendants but they weren't the most helpful so we we stopped at this one particular stop and we had to leave all our stuff on the train and the only way we could exit off the train was like you know we could just stand on the platform and that was it and we saw the sign for ATM. We're like, we're doing it. We're just going to that ATM. Like, you know, let's just leave all our stuff. Like the train's here for like 10 minutes. Like we can make it. And as we followed the signs to the ATM, we realized it was a lot further than we thought. But we committed and we were like, How, what if we don't make it back? Like our passports, all our belongings are on that train. But I swear I was so hungry. Like. <laughs> I did not care. I was like, they can take my stuff at this stage. Like I would kill for like a hot cook meal right now. Um, and I remember just going to the AT and I like a couple of hundred of like a couple hundred pounds worth of money. We made the train within literal seconds. There was this Russian train attendant that just pushed us on. And I can remember doing a money dance in the train carriage, like literally with these notes, like waving about my face. Like, yeah, this 
is being alive. I ate like a king. I've never eaten so much food or drank so much beer probably as well. I got very drunk that night. Yeah, but it was awesome. So amazing. Well, I always think about you since you told me that story. Every time I, you know, make additional plans and, and prepare to do the Trans-Siberian. So I'm doing it le- next month and uh, we can compare notes after that. But that's that's literally my my point of context. I think you were the first person I ever met that had actually done it. And so your story has always stuck with me. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm probably the only person that you'll meet that actually did it and didn't get off the train. Like loads of people are like, did you see that lake? And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I just lived on it for 10 days. Didn't see a thing. That's amazing. All right. Sarah, at this point, are you ready for the lightning round? I think so. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. If you could have dinner with any person who is currently alive today, could be celebrity, author, public figure, entrepreneur, anybody, who would you choose and why? Yeah, I would choose Russell Brand. I don't know. Do you know Russell Brand? I do. That's an amazing choice. Yeah, I would choose him. Like, I just think he is so funny, interesting, spiritual, has like some really interesting things to say about life and humanity. And I just like the thought of like eating my dinner and him just almost performing for me, like, cause he doesn't shut up. So yeah, I, I would pick him. I just think it would be like dinner entertainment and you would learn a lot and laugh a lot on the way. That is an amazing choice. I have to agree with that one. All right. What is one app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you would most recommend? Mm, I'm not afraid. My journal system is probably my productivity tool. Can I yep. can I yep. recommend that? 100%. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. Next question. If you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Sarah? Don't think too much. <laughs> Just don't think too much. I think like so often, for me anyway... I can live out and play out so many different imaginary scenarios in my head about like, you know, what might happen, you know, like what if that went wrong and actually it doesn't really matter. And if like the joy is just doing it, like even if you fail, I've got, I used to be so frightened of failure, like recovering perfectionist. Um, and now I really enjoy it. Like I enjoy the process and the feedback. And I think I would just, I remember being 18 and it feels like the world's kind of like opening up to you and you, you're like ready to embrace it. But then all these kind of like, you know, limiting beliefs start to filter in. So I would just say like, don't overthink it. Don't think too much. Just get out of your own head and like go and enjoy the world. Yeah. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people? Yeah. So I use a travel card called Revolut. And I pay for the premium service, which is really good because it's really cost effective. It's, I think it's like 40 pounds a year or something. It's not very expensive. And that gives you the best exchange rate on the day. Um, you're able to forgo kind of like any fees. It's a great card, but more than that, it gives you perks. Um, it has a little parkometer on the app, which often includes booking.com. So we're already like genius level of booking.com because we travel so much. And you can actually combine the Revolut codes with your genius. 
So when we traveled in South Africa, actually, we stayed in like this incredible five-star hotel in Johannesburg and got like 30% off. And it also gives you for premium members um, like a flat rate access to airport lounges for 20 pounds. So when we we're in Dubai, for example, we were able just like rather than spend 20 pounds on a cup of coffee, because that's probably the price you're going to pay in Dubai airport. We were able just to activate like then and there the, the lounge pass, scan ourselves in with a QR code um, have some hot food, get a massage on the massage chair. Yeah. And spent, spent like four or five hours in there before our next flight. So yeah, that, that's been really, really helpful for me. Awesome. And when you're traveling, what is one item that you pack and you never travel without? This is a really crap one, but my, my curling tongs. It's honest. Listen, this is a candid answer. I mean, you know, that's literally the only thing. Like, I would love to try and say something fancy, but I just be lying to myself and your audience. Like, the one thing that is always in my bag is just my curling tongs and an, an adapter so that I can use them. Fair enough. All right. At this point in your life, with all the travel that you've done, what is the number one place on your bucket list that you have not yet been to that you would be most excited to go to right now? Yeah, I haven't done much of South America, so I'd really love to to do um, a bit more of that. Like, I'd love to do Chile. Um, yeah, like that whole kind of area. Like, I've been as far as like Central America, like Guatemala. Um, but I haven't gone beyond. So like that's next. We're talking about that for maybe kind of the end of this year, actually, to go spend Christmas kind of somewhere like that. And um, that's kind of calling me. Did I have any influence in putting Chile on your radar? Yes. With all of the common yes. wine that you and yes. I drank together? <laughs> 100%. 100%. You're to blame. <laughs> That's amazing. For that, uh, my Carmenere wine addiction that is growing by the second. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Well, let me know when you go because Chile is indeed an amazing place. All right, Sarah, last question on the lightning round for listeners of this episode that want to find their flow. What is the first step, the first tip as soon as this episode ends? What should they do first? So if you want to find your flow, probably the, the best tip is to get curious about where it exists for you. So bring a notepad um, with you like to work or when you're working and notice the activities that you're completely absorbed in. So where you, you feel that sense of challenge and you lose track of time and your worries disappear because you're just so focused on the task. And then begin to make a note of those and add more of those into your work life. When it comes to your leisure, um, flow exists more in activities where the conditions are already present for flow. So for example, in rock climbing or dance or any form of sports. So again, try to integrate that into your leisure routine because it just gives you this feeling of, of instant harmony and joy and happiness. So notice when you're in flow and work and add more to it. And then um, in your leisure activities, think about sports or activities that you could do and get curious, like think outside the box. Like I did improv. It was hilarious. Like it was so much fun. And I really look forward to those classes, like to go down and just have that sense of, 
of fun and escapism and feel kind of the joy in life. So I think so often we can be over-reliant on like Netflix and just like sticking on the TV and binge watching a box set when actually there's so much more to life than that. So get curious about what other things you could experience in your free time. Awesome advice, Sarah. It was so, so, so amazing to have you back on the show again. I want you to let people know, first of all, how they can get an advance, you know, get on the advanced presale list for the book. And then also how they can follow you on social media and how they can learn more about the power to reinvent as well. And, you know, wherever you want people to go to find out what you're up to. Yeah, so I'm most active on um, Instagram and it's um, the handle is at the power to reinvent. And there I'll kind of be posting more information about the pre-sales and also some bonuses for people who buy the book before it's released. I plan to have like um, a lot of additional freebies worth quite a bit of money that you'll get in addition to the book for placing your trust in me. Um, for to find out about when the pre-sales happen, you can just follow on social media or you can sign up to my newsletter, which you can sign up to on my website, www.thepartereinvent.com. Amazing. We are going to link all of that up at the show notes in one place. Just go to themaverickshow.com for this episode and you will find links to everything we discussed on this episode, including how to get a copy of the book and follow Sarah. All that'll be in one place at themaverickshow.com. Sarah, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait until our travel paths cross again soon. I would love that. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.